Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the Burgundy Gold Knuckleheads podcast. And as always, sitting right over there, you know who it is. It's my main man, Reggie. What's going on, Reggie? Ken, how you doing, baby? You doing all right today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, enjoying the spring weather. Um, kind of a, a busy time of year, as, as we talked on our last podcast. But um, yeah, always excited to do uh, do another another podcast. And um, today is going to be a special one. Absolutely, man. And of course, living here in Dallas, um, we pretty much go from winter to summer. We don't really have much of a spring here. So so it's already 90 degrees. I was in New York uh, just last week and it was in the 40s. And tomorrow, I think it's going to be 90 degrees here. So welcome to Texas, as always. Yeah, there but at, but as as you mentioned, Ken, we have a very, very, very special uh, guest with us today as we will be getting into some talks with uh, the one and only Ma Megan, Megan Embert. And she will be talking with us about uh, her time with the team and, of course, the release the report uh, uh, mantra that is out there. And, of course, all of this that uh, led to the what I'm going to call the sale of the team. So, Megan, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And I'm also in Texas learning that there is no spring. It is hot. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. It, it, it goes go, straight to summer. Yeah, it, go, it goes from 60, 68. And you're like, I'm starting to enjoy this. Bam, 90 degrees. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And with the humidity, by the way. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and we're going to get into uh, Megan's story and Megan's journey and, and, and let her uh, kind of go through the last couple years of, uh, you know, pushing for change, not only within the Washington Redskins commanders organization, but within the NFL. And then, you know, hopefully taking that on um, uh, th throughout the, throughout the country and, and working to make change uh, for those that again, aren't familiar with uh, Megan. She was uh, the production manager uh, that was her last role when she was with uh, with Washington. And uh, again, we, we introduced you. But uh, again, thank you. Thank you for joining, Megan. Yeah, happy to be here. Um, a little bit about my background at the team. I actually started my career when I was a junior in college. I actually started out as a PR intern in 2006. And then I continued on and worked in the television department uh, within Larry Michael's organization as an intern, 2007. Unfortunately, all those fans out there know how how hard that year was when we lost Sean Taylor. Um, yeah, yeah. And then I ended up uh, getting a full-time role in 2008 in the television department. And then I, I left on my own accord in 2011, shortly after we drafted Ryan Kerrigan and the lockout was happening. So yeah. um, was there for three head coaches, Gibbs, Shanahan, Zorn, um, so definitely have seen a lot um, during that time um, of of being yeah. at Redskin Park there in Ashburn. So, yeah. well, good, good. And for those, I mean, most of our listeners are are Redskins Commander um, fans. But if we have any new listeners, Larry Michaels was actually the play by play voice for the team. If you were ever listening on radio, so that was uh, Megan's boss. So pretty pretty uh, impactful guy. And uh, for her to be working for for Larry Michael, um, what was it like working for Larry? Yeah, it's interesting. It's, I've had to process a lot the past few years. Um, keep in mind, I started working there when I was 19 years old and then I left when I was 25. So I've known him since day one when I worked in PR. Um, he was always extremely supportive of, of my career and my goals. Um, however, as, as everyone has learned, there's definitely some inappropriate moments and in, in how he treated colleagues of mine and, and other people. So it's a tough one where um, I've had to really think through some of these relationships where there's inappropriate behaviors, there's mistakes that people make. And I think it all comes down to accountability and, and going about change and, and kind of confronting sort of your demons, right? So I've had to process a lot on um, my feelings toward him, my feelings toward my career, yet at the same time realizing he was in a position of power where he should have been protecting us. Instead, there was, um, you know, him being one of the perpetrators of this culture and being a part of Dan Snyder's inner circle. So 
Um, it's, it's a tough one. Um, cause I do, you know, I care about a lot of the people that I used to work with. Um, I'd be lying if I said I didn't care about him, sure. but at the same time, um, you know, he's, he's made some pretty big mistakes sure. and um, continues to deny those. Wow. Well, well, it's, it's interesting. And to your point, when you have someone that's in a, a position of power, there's a lot of responsibility with that. Right. And so to the point that you're making, he was in that position and yet he, from the sounds of it, did not handle that um, in the correct way um, as a fan. And of course, as we mentioned here, being in Dallas, everything we get from the team is always Internet or, or social media and those types of things. And I remember when the dominoes began to fall and you start hearing about all these people were leaving. Ken and I was calling each other. It's like something is going on. I mean, for Larry Michael is just abruptly resigned. And there were some other people that I didn't know that was within the organization that we knew was part of the upper management. These people were leaving and it's like something is going on. A hundred percent. Right before the first July 2020 article came out that Larry was exposed in, um, it was a couple of days before that published that abruptly he had resigned. And like you, I thought that's not, that's yeah. not normal. This man would do this job from his deathbed is what I had always thought. And, right. mm-hmm. and I knew, so the Washington post had been trying to reach out to me. I think it was two to three years. I, I need to go back and look at like original messages from like Will Hobson and, I mean, they, they're reporters, they're investigative journalists, they have ways of trying to track you down. And and I remember like, no, I don't want to talk about my time at the team. And then that first article where Emily Applegate was on the cover, um, I'll never forget. I had a visceral reaction because I was like, well, I knew it was, it was scratching the surface of what I knew about. Um, but I was like, this is, you know, the can popped off. Like, this is not going to go away. I knew at that moment well, I have to come forward with my experiences and what I know. But at the time, I wanted to do that anonymously. And it was really within the next 48 hours, I had talked to a couple of my former um, colleagues within the production department and really trusting my own intuition from back when I was like a 20-year-old intern and saw some things. And I just started to ask questions. And two people now, Tom Kerchival and Brad Baker, they know they know about it now, but neither of them knew I was texting both of them at the same time wow. um, as to whether or not they were aware of or had any involvement in the production of explicit videos ar- around the cheerleaders. And right. within minutes, they both responded with yes. I mean, I was just in my apartment, just tears were flowing. And at that moment, it was like, nope, I'm putting my name to this. It was yeah. so much bigger than me at that point. And wow. I haven't wow. looked back since. Wow. So when, well, let me say this, Ken, before you yeah. ask your question. Um, yeah. So, so I, cause we're, we're starting to get into this. And so what I wanted to say is again, Megan, thank you for, for joining us to talk about this topic. And uh, what I wanted to kind of say publicly here um, to everybody is a few weeks ago, we all got the big news that Dan Schneider had agreed in principle to sell the team. And if anyone is on social media, you knew social media went crazy. All the fans are excited. Uh, people started buying tickets again. And, and this was all a great thing. And I don't want to minimize the impact of that. But what we wanted to kind of point out to people, we're not here today to celebrate the sale of the team if it wasn't for people like Megan and all the women that testified, talked to the Washington Post and did everything. You guys were the catalyst all of this that brought us to where we are today to celebrate that. And so that's why we wanted to have you on because we don't want this to be lost. It's, it's easy to celebrate the sale, but why right. did we get there? How did we get there? It took women like yourself putting yourselves out there to, to be mocked, to be ridiculed, whatever just because we know social media can be cruel, but it took you guys years and years to get us to where we are today that we can celebrate that. So thank you again for joining us on this podcast. Thank you. Yeah. So go ahead, kid. I didn't mean, I didn't mean to. No, no, no. That. that is absolutely uh, dead on. Um, and it, it kind of relates to, you know, when you start talking, because uh, you left in 2011 and the article didn't come out until the summer of 2020. 
and you were mentioning that they started reaching out, you know, a couple years before, uh, you know, it goes to show you the length and depth of this in- investigation. So before you started, uh, you know, talking to the reporters and you started finding out more information, clearly from your own experience, you knew that there was things going on at, at Redskins Park. Did you have a, a, a sense? I mean, did, did you have a sense of the level it was compared to the when the, when the story broke? And now you might have seen all these other stories out there that you didn't even know existed. Or, or did you know that the culture was all the way across the board at the time? I, I knew how pervasive the culture was across the board and for many years. Um, I think what you're touching on too is interesting because there were a lot of beat reporters I now know and, and having conversations. It's interesting because when I was a PR intern, a lot of these local beat reporters now are on national channels and such. So the timing and it was kind of serendipitous when it was like all of a sudden the press hitting and it's like, Oh, Hey, how are you doing? You know, it's like we, you know, I was, I was like a 19 year old intern when I met mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. I knew how, how bad things were there were obviously some stories and things that I think if anything it it provided some validation of oh wow they went through that too or then there's a level of guilt as well of hey man if I had done something more but what I'd love listeners to understand if they don't know this already we really didn't have an avenue to escalate and the leaders that were in charge of us a lot of them part of Dan Snyder's inner circle, it would have been it would have been us losing our jobs. We know that now with retaliation that some people right. did lose their job if they escalated right. or they tried to do the right thing. We didn't have HR, we didn't have the proper protocols in place. So I think it's a really tough situation because a lot of the criticism we received is why would you have stayed in that environment? Why would you have put up with that or whatnot? And Unfortunately, it just shows how this type of environment is kind of pervasive throughout sports and entertainment, which we're learning as more and more workplaces, as people get more courageous, are willing to come forward. Um, But there is that level of people that are going to remain silent. To this day, there's people that want to come forward, but they're scared to. They either took money, had an NDA. Um. Rightfully so, there might be risks that they're not willing to to compromise on. So mm-hmm. it's it's a really tough, not really like a black and white type of situation. Um, it's a little bit more complex. So when I saw the article, <clears throat> I thought, okay, like I knew it was scratching the surface. I actually then reached out to Emily Applegate out of concern for her and hoping that she had a lawyer. Um, and I didn't know her. We never worked together ironically enough, we learned that we were like living in the same apartment complex in Austin and had never known each other. So talk about timing, right? And um, that's when we ended up calling around different law offices and um, uh, Lisa Banks, Deborah Katz, their their firm um, was investigating whether or not they were going to participate and be a part of that. And if you look up that firm, they represented clients against Harvey Weinstein. They also represented Dr. Carolyn Ford during the Judge Kavanaugh Supreme Court um, hearing. So they've, they're powerhouse lawyers and have been very much involved in the Me Too movement. So um, very long-winded answer to your question. No, um, no, all right. I knew I knew it was going to be huge. It was just a matter of the second I knew I was going to go on record, I knew I needed to rally around and get as many people that I worked with to come forward and be a part of this. And I appreciate all the people that have. um, And a lot of them, you know, there were a lot of risks to doing that. So um, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. And and I think where we come to it, obviously we're all excited and happy that they're going to sell the team. But for me personally, it still doesn't feel good. It's not, it's not because the other owners um, voted him out. You know, it's it's not necessarily the result or the way of which I would have wanted that result to take place. Right, right, right. right. It was, uh, yeah, and and as I, I mean, as I've looked through the timeline um, with you and the uh, Washington Post article, and, and for those that haven't watched the 
seen the Washington Post article. Again, uh, Megan talked, you know, they they dug into this. I didn't know it was for that long, but for them to go into it for a couple of years, and when you see a, a an article in a newspaper, normally anything that's even a quarter of a page to a half a page is a huge story, right? That's a, that's a lot of print. Um, I read it originally when it had come out, and as I was preparing for this, and, and I remember how how long and detailed of a story it was. And as I prepared for this podcast, I went and printed it out again. When I printed it out, it was like 15 pages. <laughs> and so it goes to show you how well of a job that they do. And and we're just a, a simple podcast, but I want to give credit to the Washington Post and the uh, and the people that did that, that I, I guess I they, love they, they about where they empowered you as they were doing the story, I would think. Well, I love that you're bringing this up for two reasons, because some of the beat reporters, there was a lot of these journalists that had like starter starters of stories or they had had wind of things and they wanted to pursue, but people were too scared to come forward or they just couldn't. I have the utmost respect for the Washington Post to the point that I subscribe now. I pay the paywall. These are journalists that having lived through this and especially for that August story, I mean, the lawyers, the lawyers alone, the quotes that they're sharing to the other side, getting comments, they're kicking the can for days on we'll have a comment, they don't have a comment, all of that, like, I have so much respect for them. I know the Post would not print something unless it's corroborated. They are, and I know there's a lot of, you know, criticism of journalism these days and all of that, but I... I was pretty blown away with the process and that was part of where it got scary for us when we go on record and then it's like, wait a second. So now the team knows what I'm saying. And, you know, I envisioned in my imagination, like the commanders having a war room with my face and then kind of like the dossier that Congress discovered of like, who do they know? Who are they talking to? Like every little thing about you kind of thing. Um, Right. Yeah, we still don't know all of what's in that. Um, right. Crazy, yeah. Well, let me ask you this. So <clears throat> we know that you left the 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 team back in 2011, but after, I guess, at your point, breaking your silence, how did that, say, affect you professionally once in your second career, or pr- professionally or personally? Anything that you want to share? Yeah, how it affected um, you? I think I'm still, honestly, I think the past three years has been a whirlwind. I think I'm still processing some of it. And um, in 2020, before that article I was in August came out, I mean, probably the closest thing I've ever had to a panic attack and really scared, um, not knowing what was going to happen. And, you know, it's, it's definitely taken a toll from a stress perspective. However, I think the past year, um, once we had Congress involved and then as we started to see like Eastern District of Virginia, the D.C. Attorney General, all these people starting to have our backs a little bit more. Um, Obviously, we went through a roller coaster ride with like the common interest agreement with Goodell and the team. Like there's a lot there that we were doing what we thought was right and we were lied to. We were misled. So. I think it was about a year ago where I kind of have this overwhelming feeling of peace in a sense that I know I can sleep well at night because I've done what I can to try to bring truth to light. And it's a really interesting place to be because my background when I was in television, I like to be behind the camera and I was always producing and I was always scared. I would be scared of doing a podcast. If I did it like a voiceover, I'd have to be like in the studio by myself. I just didn't like it. Right. And so this, this voice, this mission, it's like I reunited with myself and my voice. And because of all the people that can't speak up, it's kind of channeled that. So I think it's actually a really cool situation where I wanted to be the investigative journalist. I completely reinvented myself in the tech world, which is a great industry to be in Mm -hmm. and then come full circle. All of a sudden we're a part of this story and then, you know, the press and all the stuff that's come along with it. So I think it's one of those things where I'm like, wow, like um, being a lesson in resiliency, courage, reinventing yourself and also realizing 
these situations don't define me, don't define the other women. These are right. things that happened to us and we can decide how we want to react, how we want to hopefully inspire and be, be a part of change. Um, so I think it's all in how we respond to it. So personally, I think it's, it's been a, a battle with like some anxiety here and there. Um, but I think professionally, especially as a people manager and a leader in the, in the tech world, it's been really interesting because I really feel like I'm leading with authenticity. I'm not scared to, if anyone asks me about the situation, I'm not scared to talk about it. Right. Um, because I think this is, it's bigger than football. It's, it impacts all workforces. Absolutely. And so in my mind, I'm, I'm the type of worker that you should probably want to have in your, in your organization. And also like leaning into these experiences and, and, you know, trying to work through with people on, on how, you know, I was, I was young when I was there. And now if I see behaviors, I try to talk to somebody about it. Um, but that yeah. also takes courage. Right. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. And, and, and you, you kind of touched on it and, and I wanted to kind of discuss cause uh, we, we talked about um, leading up to the Washington Post article, and that comes out, and at, at that point, there's a spotlight on you, right? Some, something that you're not used to, and so there's this wave that I'm sure you're not used to, and I wanted to kind of get your input on, you know, you go from there to all of a sudden there's an investigation to the NFL picking it up to sweeping kind of sweeping under the rug. Then all of a sudden uh, Congress gets involved. And so there's, there's these highs and lows and then that comes out. And then all of a sudden now the, the DC district. So, I mean, you, you know, your boat is, 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 you know, going with the tides high and low through this whole process. And, and I just wanted to kind of, does that make you more resilient or, or your experiences through all that? I think it's absolutely made us more resilient. Anytime there's breaking news, I mean, I, our emotions are heightened because chances are between either myself or Melanie Coburn, we've really been tied at the hip at this. Um, one of us is usually doing an interview or both of us or something. So it's kind of, we can't predict when those stories were breaking, but we are ready for it. And frankly, that's what we signed up for. Like I was not going to deny an interview to keep the story out there and, and generate exposure. But at the si same time, there's a cost to our piece and our, um, you know, really stress levels too. And um, <clears throat> given all of the things we now know, private investigators, all this other stuff where it was like, just our day to day is like, you don't want to be paranoid, you want to be safe. And then at the same time, like, what are we dealing with? And um, I appreciate you bringing that up, because I don't necessarily think um, it's the first time someone's actually brought this to me where recognizing that that was such a roller coaster ride that we've been on and we continue to be on. And even the behind the scenes, right. Of, you know, I'd be having my work call all of a sudden there's a 10 minute check-in with some congressional staff where like people don't realize like during that time and maybe the pandemic piece was a bit of a blessing because it was like, I had work and this to focus on. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that was also a game changer. There weren't distractions, but certainly um, every piece of it, we've been such an ingrained part of um, from Congress's involvement at really a grassroots effort there. And I really do appreciate, and I learned a lot more about that system and process of how to get the attention and mm -hmm. uh, what, what they might need to, to kind of know their speaking points. But I mean, when I think back, it's like, Every week there was something else in our timeline where I was starting, like we have a group text message of a few of us that are, have been on record. I would start to bullet point out, like, here are the talking points. Like, these are the things that we need to make sure people realize this is why it's important. This is the next step. So it was kind of, it was kind of crazy, but at the same time, tapping into the the former experiences of doing PR and TV, it was like, well, you're coaching each other, home. right? You're coaching each other uh, <laughs> through this. I mean, supporting and coaching each other through this to, to reach your end goal. Um, well, let, let me ask this question. I and, and I don't know if it's appropriate or, or too personal for you, but uh, before we knew knew your name, um, I'm going to I shouldn't assume, but I'm going to ask you, I guess, did your employer know 
you and what where you had come from. And then once your name got out there, because now you're certainly not a distraction, but now certainly your coworkers know where, what's it, what you're involved in that people may not have known before, you know, executive yeah. management. So how did, are you able to speak on <laughs> that a, at all? Yeah it's, it, yeah, it's a great question. In fact, um, I remember Nick Ferguson had me on a podcast um, for Denver. And I remember him asking kind of a similar question on like, the steps in this process. The smartest thing that I could do when I knew this article happened, and I think the f July one was like a Thursday or something I was processing over the weekend. By that point, I find out about the videos. I'm figuring out that like the cats firms, my, my law firm, talking to them on like a Friday night. Mm -hmm. When I realized like, okay, I'm going to participate in some capacity here. I immediately got on the phone with my HR department. I talked to them first so that that was on record, that they knew what I was doing, blah, blah, blah. What steps do I need to take? I then talked to um, at the company I was at. So it's a couple companies ago. I've had, had a really great experience the past few years, actually, of like <laughs> where yeah, I landed. Yeah. But um, I talked to the head of our PR. I also talked to, of course, my management team. And I was open, I'll answer any questions that they have, but it was not really me. And I don't want to sound arrogant saying this, but I know me and I was busting at the seams. Like I, I was participating in this. I wasn't really asking if, if I'm going to be true with me and my values, I have to do this. Right. And so that was one of those decisions that was scary. And am I going to be supported? And so you were more so letting them know as opposed to asking permission. I was informing them. I went to HR first, get it on record. And is there going to be an issue? Do we see this? This could be an issue. I think overwhelmingly I had a really great support system where they were more or less like, how are you doing? Are you okay? And even managing people like them now knowing like your boss is going through this. And, you know, I have an international team and some people, some people pay attention to these kinds of issues uh, really acutely. So um, overwhelmingly it was positive response. Um, good. You know, good. I started a new company in December and a few people there, their Washington fans are like, wait a second. Then they connect the dots. <laughs> um, but I haven't really like blasted it or shared too much, but I do share on LinkedIn. Cause I do think in order for me to meet my true authentic self, this is now a part of my story. And yes, absolutely. Um, absolutely, depending on obviously there could be boundaries around it, how many podcasts I'd want to participate in or whatnot. But I, I see this, these issues as so much bigger than this, bigger than me. So there could be one person listening to this podcast that could change their entire trajectory and make a different decision. Or maybe they're treating someone inappropriately and they're having a gotcha moment of like, actually, you know, that's not right. Yeah. Um, so I kind of I've I've leaned into it, but it was a little scary where it was like, I'm not really asking. Um, <laughs> it's more of a courtesy, just kind of a courtesy FYI. But no, I also think if, if companies, if corporate America, especially if they claim they have values around these issues and they care about treatment of workers and they care about diversity, equity, inclusion, they care about all of these things. This is the perfect opportunity to support your employee. Yeah. How can they deny you? the ability to go do this and be a part of this. And then on the other hand, they're saying they support diversity and inclusion and so forth. So yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I think okay. I'm really lucky because I've had a, a very positive experience. And then, um, yeah, so far, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, let me, um, go, ahead. go ahead, Ken. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I'm, I, I don't mean to be sound colder or about this, but, are, are you able to, uh, you, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier uh, when you're talking about Larry Michael, are, are you able to car, uh, differentiate the, the good of why you were, of when you were with the commanders from the bad, or is it just so overwhelmingly took an emotional toll on you that it's hard to find those moments of, of good? It's a great question. It's a really great question because I think over the course of the past three years, I had a little bit of a roller coaster ride with some of those things. Like, um, you know, I won an Emmy while I was there. I had a goal to do that by the time I was 25, did it at 24. That's an amazing wow. accomplishment. Congratulations. Um, thank you. But I think that there was a point over the past three years where it was like, oh, like anytime I saw something, it was just like 
I was angry. Um, mm. And I think coming to terms with like some of my experiences or I left dreams on the table and I was good at what I did despite the circumstances and I completely jumped industries. Right. So I think there was a little bit of my own kind of resentments that I had breeding where I noticed a lot of men, coworkers of mine that, you know, they went on to thrive at different teams. So they might've had a terrible experience in Washington, but they're thriving elsewhere. Whereas a lot of us women, I mean, I left without a job on the table. Right. Um, I gave them notice before I had the next role lined up. And again, that sounds a little borderline, like, I, but you have to do what you have to do in terms of survival It's at times. So um, yeah, I think now I have those glimmers of like, there were some really good moments. I've made some amazing connections. I have a lot of really great memories. Um, but again, I think it's more or less big picture. I hope looking back on, you know, this situation, it's like, wow, that was really impactful. And, and the change that we were able to, you know, the friendships that we've been able to make even from this experience too. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. Again, I think I'm processing. I'm not, I don't feel angry anymore. I do feel I do feel some kind of way towards, um, you know, attitudes of people that might still work at the team or, or, you know, reference us as ghosts of Christmas past. I don't know if you know my reference there, but yeah. um, certain people that I don't think have been fully respectful of the journey and um, the changes that we ultimately helped start. Well, go ahead and share that just in case some, some people don't know about Jason the Jason Wright of- referred to us as ghosts of Christmas past. And I just think it's it's rude and um, not very considerate considering the circumstances. So, yeah. If you were former players or, you know, something of that nature, former regime, coaching staff, that would be one thing. But to to not quite be as sensitive to what this topic is about and then to call you, call you guys, uh, you ladies, you know, ghost of Christmas past was kind of dismissive. And, and, and mm-hmm. I don't really know Jason um, again from the team and from the, all the negative press that we as fans have gone through and for Jason to come in and to do some things. Um, I actually thought he was, he was a breath of fresh air but he's not perfect. And so for him to say something like that, I don't think that's very cool of him to do. And so, so shame on Jason um, <laughs> for doing that. And I think I, I would hope that if he had a chance to do that over, he would, he would. Uh, he would I, I, I have my own opinions too, given when he started and I know he's participated in owner meetings and things like that with Mrs. Snyder. So I don't trust him. I consider him a representative of the league office. Um, sure, sure. And they've breached my trust there too. So um yeah, I think it's it. That's the part where it's a little, um, you know, I'll get over it. I wish everybody well, but um, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. be a little bit, be a little bit more um, aware. Yeah, you know? be aware. You got to read the room, Jason. Like, that, that that was bad, man. Um, yeah. But but along those lines, let me ask you that: Did you were there any relationships that uh, that you lost as a result of you speaking out? and uh coming out about this and if you did would you would you still do it i guess um i absolutely have lost some relationships um definitely some people that i used to work with i have never heard from again some some have kind of kept it at a distance um i know though that there's some people that have made mistakes and are supportive um, maybe not directly with me, but indirectly. And I, you know, I hear about it, which is good. Um, I absolutely would do this again. Um, I think all of that pain and the various challenging situations we've been through, like really built us for this moment. And, um, I believe that in life and the journey and, and, you know, recognizing I've said it before, like sometimes the test isn't on paper. And for me, like I said, after I saw that and knowing what I went through and what other people went through, like, I, there's no way I could have been silent. So like them even trying to right. slap us with another NDA or hush money, I'm like, are they serious? Like, there's no way, there's no way there's not a price on me. And, um, I, I, I love to see like the tides sort of changing, like 
Jim Trotter recently, you know, he didn't sign an NDA. He didn't take the severance pay. He was a NFL media correspondent. So Mm -hmm. you're going to, I think you're going to see more from him. And then um, I know there was the person at the Arizona Cardinals. So I think more and more people are getting fed up and things need to change. And there's these power dynamics and these structures that um, how you treat people matters. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I I look at, you know, Reggie and I have talked in the past kind of off the air, just as we're sitting there watching a game about, you know, in, in your, in your mind, you're like, man, it would be so cool to work for an organization that you love, right? Whether it's your baseball team, your basketball team. And, and when you have a passion for, for it, I mean, not, not only that, but for, for you, this was your job. This was your career. You, you made mention that, you know, there were goals that you obtained, but there were also goals that you had hoped to continue to reach, but because of the, the toxic environment, you weren't able to reach those. So, I mean, it, I can imagine when you originally, even as an intern, and you got hired on or, or you know got your internship you had to be sky high you know on an NFL team to just have that rug pulled out from under you it just it, it, well it and was, i think you, at the ages that some of us were there you know 19 years old and um you're kind of groomed in that environment and you you might realize okay some of that behavior is wrong but this is what it is it's so embedded in the culture that this this is just the way it is kind of think and that's then normal. you're also well and you're also reminded that fans would probably do your job for free and that's a tough one too i would not <laughs> i would not really so recommend they, anyone they working say for that free. to you guys oh yeah 100% wow yeah, now, and now I remember the- even as an intern because I used to have to go in the locker room, and you know, there's like 60 naked dudes or or more. And I remember saying to Larry one day, like, I don't really feel comfortable doing that. I'm around these people all the time, and it was like it's part of the job, which I get it at the time. It was part of the job, but at the same time, wow, you know, maybe there could have been other accommodations. Um, so that's like just a whole other thing um, in terms of it's a part of the job. You know, you know, and it's funny. Um, back to what Ken said and, and to reiterate your point here, you know, we, we as fans and we've Ken and I have been fans for a long time. I mean, this, this team even brought us together. Ken, Ken is one of my best friends here and we've been friends for a long time, but it started from just being at the bar at the fan club and talking to each other about the game today. And a friendship was born. And we've we've traveled together. We do a podcast together and all that kind of thing that we've had conversations about. Man, if I if if it wasn't about money, I would work for free. So to to that point, we said those exact words is that, man, I would love to work for free. But knowing that that doesn't mean that you don't respect the people that you employ. Yeah. And not only that, though, like some of our salaries were basically like we were being paid nothing like yeah See, that's it ridiculous. Was, especially in northern virginia where it's a very tough place to live anyway yes, um right. and you know anywhere from the 60 to 80 hour we- weeks you know think about the football season holidays and stuff so i also don't want to say it's like doom and gloom because there are a lot of really exciting cool moments you're part of history like that's what i loved about sports is that any of those games you could be watching history in the making and there's a lot of fun to it. Right. And right. as a production team, we had goals of women winning Emmys while we're also trying to win the Super Bowl. So it was, it was fun. It was exciting. It was non-routine. Um, so I don't want to sound like, you know, Debbie Downer, like there were definitely, it was an exciting place to be for sure. But, but, but again, just, just be- also, you know, but the, fact because, that you, they, the fact that they, they knew that you were in that environment, they would use that and leverage that against you to, yeah. you know, have, have you do more than what would be expected or to have you put up with, uh, you know, the, the, the harassment that, that you and, and others were uh, had, to, had to deal with and, and face with. Yeah, on a, yeah on a that's, that's, that's not cool. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's, that's just disrespectful. Yeah, yeah, one of the things I saw in this story um, – the that I remember uh, that just kind of threw me off was it seemed like the whole building, according to the story, it seemed like the whole building ran fearful of Daniel Snyder. 
can, totally. can you go into that? I mean, I understand if you're not doing a good job, if I'm sales and I'm not selling, you know, enough tickets or something like that, but how, how, what can you, can you speak to that of, of what level there yeah. was? And if my impression of it is accurate or. Yeah, I think, um, and let me let me interrupt just real quick, Megan. And while you're answering that, I want to add because the perception of Dan, he was never really public speaking. When he did, he seemed very awkward with it, seemed very nervous. So as you explain this about what was pervasive in the building, was he truly that way? Or was that an act that he put in front of the camera as if he was very uncomfortable? But behind the scenes, he was a different guy. I so I have my perception of like how he is as a person and I do think he's a little socially maybe a little bit more of an introvert um which is fair um however definitely um a hot-headed person highly temperamental um I'll never forget you know if Larry's cell phone was ringing you could hear him like yelling on the other end or just very much lacking patience and um we definitely were told right away when we walked in the door and I know it was kind of like a rite of passage of like, if he's coming your way, go the other way. Don't look him in the eye. Don't call him Dan. Basically don't acknowledge him, you know? Um, and I think it's, there's this level of like kind of unpredictability. Um, I have heard rumors of like certain people getting fired for different things, just kind of at a whim or um, so I think it was more or less like, for your best interest, just go the other way. And you'll hear other players. Like I heard Fred Stamud on a podcast recently where he was like kind of talking up about Dan, but it's like the experience of some of those players, especially if you were like Portis or someone that's, you know, Dan was a fan. He is a fanboy. Of course he was like different with them. So I hate when I keep hearing this narrative where I'm like, your experience is completely different than someone else (laughs) in the building. And by the way, like you weren't perfect. So it's, um, it's tough when I hear that stuff. Cause I'm like, again, are you aware of like who you were in the building to that person? He was a fan. Right. right. I mean, of course to, he treated players a little bit different. I mean, yeah. of course he did. Yeah. I mean, to, to your, to your point, you know, we, we heard stories of uh, Robert Griffin going directly and talking to Dan about things that he didn't like. Uh, clearly there was no Avenue for you to go in and talk to Dan about anything that, that you didn't like. So, no, uh, and we would, I mean, there would be times where we'd have to drop something off in his, in his office, but it's like you saw if his executive assistant was there and you're, you're in and you're out. Yeah. Um, there's no, there's no lingering anywhere. Um, for no sure. Small, no small talk with Dan, huh? So, yeah. so, so it was truly ruling with fear, huh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I mean, at the same time, like as a student of life and, you know, psychology and stuff, I could see where, you know, I try to see different perspectives. Like if you're a billionaire, like, do you keep a small circle? Like, do you keep people at a distance anyway? Like I realize money can change people. Power changes people. Um, but at the same time, it's basic, basic psychology principles of the better you treat people, the better they're going to work for you. Right. the better product you're going to have. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So it's wow. it's some common sense stuff that, um, you know, even throughout this whole process, there's been reports, oh, we've apologized and all that stuff. They've never apologized. There's been no apology. There's been no accountability. And I think that's part of where this, this kind of stinks. It's like, okay, he's going to sell this team and then profit billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. So my hope is that he uses that money to better himself and literally work do the work as a human being. I know Reggie, you're like, no, (laughs) I have to believe. And like, like Melanie, you know, she prays for him and I'm like, that's amazing. What that just shows the caliber of the people involved here where it's like, she prays for this man. And I'm sitting here like, you know what? I hope you get some intense therapy and like, that would be the ultimate comeback. Imagine what you could do with that amount of money. Good in the world. Yeah. You know, like that's what I would hope that would be amazing. You know, I don't know Jeff Bezos. I don't know Jeff Bezos personally because he could be kind of the same type of tyrant for all I know. But at least the public perception is he's very generous, generous with this money. We wanted and Mackenzie Scott. We wanted his ex-wife to get the team because she is generous. She's very generous. How as well. amazing would that be? A female owner. That's just. Yes. She yeah. she she is very generous. And so. You know, as been a fan of this team for so many years and Dan Snyder. I hate to say it, but I don't see that guy having any type of introspective <laughs> with himself and deciding he wants to do something good and 
pay the fan base back for ruining the team, the organization, all the negative publicity. Now Dan's going to take his money and he off he's going to go. And, I, and and it sucks, but th- that's what I think he's he's going to do. And he needs to be prayed for. You know, I can't say I'm going to be one of the ones praying for him, but he, he probably <laughs> needs to be I prayed for. I definitely don't wish anybody any ill will, but it's um again, there's this great responsibility and this power that could come and so much good that that money could be used for. Yeah. Well, ab- ab- absolutely. absolutely. And, even, and, and to know that Dan was a fan of the team. And I think as, as part of the fan base, to know that he was a fan of the team and has drugged the team through all of this, I think it's what also doesn't sit well with a lot of fans. He wasn't well, just some. It was a selfish decision to keep the team. If you're really a fan, then maybe yes. you get you do something different or remove yeah, Absolutely. It. Absolutely, and when it comes down to, and I'm not, you know, this isn't breaking news, but you know, his legacy is a horrible job on both sides, right? He did a horrible job on the field, uh, you know, putting together teams, putting together, you know, what was on the field, but he also had a horrible culture behind the scenes of of the people that that ran the organization part of it, and. You know, it is utter utter failure <laughs> on both sides, um, and and that is that that's going to be his legacy. He, you know, he he can look at his legacy in the bank account, but from from publicly, um, no matter which way you sit looking at this organization, you know, it, it, it's more than time for Dan, long gone past time for him to go. No matter how you look at this team, Dan would never get a statue. His name would never go in the Ring of Honor. I mean, he. All of the things that he probably dreamed of when he owned this team, he he would get none of it. Right. Anytime his name is associated with this team, the fan base was not going to have any of it. Right? He he will never be revered and honored like the Kent, the Cooks family, or any other family that is owned. The Myra family for the Giants, the Hunt family for the Chiefs. He will the Schneider family will never be revered with this fan base ever, and that is probably. The one thing that will probably get to him to some extent, Megan, and because he was a, he is a fan, and to know that he will be be hated by this fan base forever is God dig to him a little. A bit. A part of me wonders if you saw um, what was it, old ox with the Biden Biden beer that came out right after the sale. I don't know if y'all oh, saw yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I really wonder if that got to him because it's like that's got a sting too, like. I, I have no doubt he's seen some of this stuff, and I and I gotta believe because he is a fan that this stuff, some of it gets to him, regardless of the six billion dollars that he's gonna get. Something as simple as the fact that he won't be in the Ring of Honor, he won't be revered, remembered by the fan base. I gotta believe that's gonna bother Dan. Yeah, did, did and you're you, and you're part of that. You're and, part of and, that. I mean, while while you were there, you know, you were part of helping the Snyder castle come crumbling down, but you weren't there working for the organization as it is falling down. Um, any, and, and I imagine as, as all these allegations and everything come along, um, Tanya Snyder, I would think would be very uncomfortable with a lot of these stories that are, that are coming out. Uh, any indication from your perspective of, of how she handled these situations or is she always on the outside uh, compared to. I, I absolutely believe that she's very aware of who she married and had been in that building as well. Um, also, she did do that Adam Schefter podcast mm-hmm. where I, it was very much. That. Yeah, it was very much a, she's a victim. Can't believe these stories are coming out. Had to put down the paper questioning it felt like questioning the validity of it and also um just how much these stories have hurt her and her family ah and then after that she's not done any press right interesting yeah but yet it hurt her and her family but her family member (laughs) is the reason all of this stuff is out there and so and so she didn't want to speak on that i assume um, no, I, I think that was the only time that she spoke. Um, but my, my opinion is she was definitely in the building. She, again, she knows who she married. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so, well, let me ask you this along those lines then, you know, she had the, uh, 
the women of Washington thing. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I don't know if you know her very well at all, but do you think that was, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Was it, was it real? I guess. You I, know, think so. it, I think so. I think so. And, um, you know, she was very excited and passionate about like the Think Pink initiative and um, mm -hmm. the female clothing line because she was in fashion um, as a profession. So I've had positive interactions with her. So I think that she genuinely enjoyed when they were giving back and doing those things. Um, okay. okay. I think it's just, you know, it's a little bit another one of those more complicated situations. <clears throat> Because I, I, my my assumption, and obviously I don't know this factually, but from my interaction with her and when the stories would have came out, I would have bet money that she would have wanted to sell two years ago and just get out of it. Mm -hmm. The reputation for her family, they have Absolutely. kids, you know, I, I'm sure that's been tough for them as well. Like, you know. I don't, but then again, I don't know what it's like being a billionaire child either. So yeah, like, right, right. I don't know, um, <laughs> but I'm a compassionate person where I can't help but think about how, how folks might, might respond. I would have thought she probably would have wanted to get out of that situation. Well, I, I would assume that what she said in terms of it affecting her family was probably true, but you have to be, you have to see both sides of it though. It, it is a byproduct of, what your husband is doing and he and his actions alone is also affecting her yeah. family. And, and there so was also never any sense of compassion toward any of us and what we went through right. or I'm mortified that this happened. It was, yes. we were so hands off, which was not the case. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> Go ahead, Ken. Um, yeah. I just kind of soak, soaking that in and um, you know, to, to your point about her and her and the family is, you know, they, they live in a, a millionaire billionaire world, but I guarantee you the, the Snyder kids, um, their, their friends and other millionaire billionaire friends can be just as cruel as the people in our neighborhood friends when something publicly might happen to a, to a, you know, a father, mother, brother, whatever, and word gets out. So I, I'm sure they're, kids uh have definitely put been put through the ringer because of their father and and you know their, their father for years just the way he ran the team and then the the story you know your story and, and some of the other ladies there uh that that start sharing the uh the culture um just has to we just add, add fuel to the fire of you know what they they, they don't even want to be you know, probably even acknowledged as, as part of that for a while, you know, okay, maybe in a few years, but we need to let, we need to let this pass. Mm -hmm. Um, and to your point, I'm, I'm surprised that, uh, the sale wasn't several years ago, uh, you know, two or three years ago, about the time that they were doing the name change, uh, was about the same time that this came out and everything. And, and the, the heat was, ha has been on, you know, intensely for the last say three years on this. I think it comes down to the money, though. I think that's paramount, at least for Snyder, um, Mr. Snyder. There I go. So I call him Mr. Snyder, Dan Snyder. <laughs> um, I think it's the I think it was the money, um, frankly, that NFL such a machine. I mean, look at the valuation of these teams. This is insane. So um, I think that's what it ultimately really has come down to. And then as we have more of these investigations and the information coming out around whether it be loans or, you know, I'm curious to know when we get down to it, like how much of his lifestyle was dependent on this team. I'm right. hearing, you know, from AJ Perez articles on like being a billion dollars in debt, the yeah. amount of money he's spending on lawyers, you know, well, he's, got the books. Firms yeah. he's probably spending millions a month on lawyers. Like, you know, one can go through, <laughs> I don't know how fast you can go through a billion dollars, but right. uh, you know, just saying like, definitely feel like there's a lot of overhead going on too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the money that was owed to the uh, season ticket hold. I mean, it was just one story after the other, and it's like, as, again, as a fan, I was just, I'm just ready for all of the negative publicity to be in the past, right? Yeah, um, and I think, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I think over the next month, um, hopefully we'll know more about, you know, maybe it's the Harris Group and all of that. Um, there is the owner's meeting at the end of the month. I know for me in particular, I still have my eye on how the NFL handled this situation. And now today there was 
the D, uh, the New York and California attorney generals are going to be investigating the NFL. So, and that's also tied into their league office story that came out by the New York times, but also, um, you know, Goodell's involvement in our situation. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really pleased to see that there's more entities that are taking notice and, you know, there's still what, like some three letter agencies out there doing investigations on top of the other things. So my hope is that I have to trust the process. I have to trust these other entities to do their jobs. Um, and ultimately I hope that that can, um, you know, impact other groups as well. Well, I don't think this is the end of it. Um, you know, with these types of investigations and things, just look at the Washington post. It takes years. And, uh, and so I don't think the NFL is off the hook. I certainly don't think that Dan Snyder is off the hook. Um, uh, with things right now, even after he's sailed. I mean, some of the noise may quiet down a little bit, mm-hmm. but I don't think these investigative journalists and, and some of these other people are going to just let this just slide. I, I, I don't foresee that happening. I agree. <laughs> you know, which, which is, which is exactly what you want. And so that's, that's a great thing. And uh, so it just, to your point, patience and time, you know, it's just all it is. And this is going forever be in the halls of history mm-hmm. um, in terms of this organization, but just as the NFL, this is going to be an NFL story, right? You know, years and years from now when people are talking, talking to the NFL, because I don't think the NFL say is going anywhere. It's just such a huge business and a fabric of our culture, but we'll be telling stories and they're going to be saying, remember that guy, you know, and then they'll be talking about those ladies and they was testifying and all this, this is going to be part of history. You know, yeah. for absolutely part of history. And you were at the forefront of that. So. A little surreal. I don't <laughs> yeah. think it's hit me. I think I think when there's a new stadium and I personally, if anyone's voting on it, I would love to see a different name. Um, I think they should keep the colors because I think people have the attachment to the colors. But um, well, look at the name of our podcast. So yeah, we, we will always be burgundy and gold. Um yeah. But you you would vote for them to change the name, huh? I personally like the Red Wolves as an option. And I think when you really look at the graphics and how fun and cool that could be. Also, I think they might be an endangered species in that D.C. metro area. So when you look at it, there's also a component that could be around, you know, environment. And and there's a different connection that they could actually draw. Um yeah, I, I I personally liked that one when it when it was shown. I think they could make some really cool um, graphics and you know. We were fans of Red Wolves as well. Yeah, and, and and for I think Reg and I both, if they were if they were going to change it to the Red Wolves, we're open to it. But if you're just opening it up to change it to could be anything, we'll probably just stick with the Commanders. I I, I mentioned to, to to Reggie also. I mean, if it would be the Red Wolves. Your quarterback would be Sam Howell, right? <laughs> so, uh, kind of, kind of a That's missed funny. opportunity, un, unknown missed opportunity that Sam Howell could be leading. That's the hilarious. So, uh, yeah. But anyway, well, but we want to give you your time. Your time tonight. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. Um, you know, I want to also give you. I don't, I don't know if you have any closing uh, comments, statements, anything for, you know. I mentioned uh, before the podcast, you know, I have a 23 year old daughter and, and these are some of the voices that aren't even really, they're, they're very, very casual fans, but because they connect with you on the subject that you're, that you're putting out there in front of everybody, I just want to give you the opportunity to have kind of a, a closing comment or statement. Uh, I really appreciate uh, that. Yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, for those that are listening that are like, wow, like, could I do that? Could I speak up if I need to? Um, I hope that you do. Um, I never in a million years would have thought this would have been my reality 10 years removed from the team and, you know, living now in Texas, completely different career. And so I think it's for me, anybody that's listening, just knowing that they are, they have power, you have power, your voice matters. And there were tons of naysayers this entire time. It, I sound like the crazy one. Cause I always visualized him selling the team. Like I'm like, yeah, okay. 
like knew that I'm on to the next, like, (laughs) it's kind of funny because I'm like, I always thought that and, and a lot of people didn't, um, you know, even family members, you're talking about doubters. And like, I think that's kind of a lesson too, for people is like, sometimes other people around you might not see the vision or they might not see the power of, of how this could come to fruition. Um, so I would just say like, don't give up and, and try to surround yourself with people that, you know, there are people that genuinely want to help. And there's people that even me, you could message me, you know, I'm on Twitter, I'm on these things. Like, I think there is, there's power in that community and, and giving each other some hope and some encouragement. Also just be a little kinder, especially, you know, to coworkers and other people who don't know what they're going through. Um, I think just a little bit more compassion and um, some accountability, like this entire situation would have been avoided. Um, so yeah, I, I really just, I, I'm thankful for the fans that have been paying attention. And I realize that the negative publicity constantly and being like a laughing stock of the NFL is tough, Yeah. but I also think that the, the future is going to be really bright. And, um, I'm really hopeful that, you know, the right people lead this organization and it's one that people can be proud of. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, and tell the people where they can find you on social media or yeah, just on Twitter. It's, yeah, on Twitter. It's just my name, Megan Imbert, M-E-G-A-N-I-M-B-E-R-T. That's probably the easiest one. Um, and then, of course, the release, the report hashtag is still live and well, considering we still haven't seen where's Mary Jo White's report, you know, <laughs> like we're still waiting and we're not going away to, to your point earlier. And um I think that's the piece that if people are learning from this is I think we've been underestimated the entire time. We weren't going away. We weren't going to be quiet. We weren't going to be scared into silence and we're still not going away after he sells the team. So um, yeah, just follow me there and we appreciate the support and hopefully one day I can like have a beer with everybody and (laughs) maybe it's the Washington Red Wolves. That'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. And when we drop the podcast, uh, this is going live right now on YouTube, but we will, uh, we put this out, uh, on, you know, Apple podcast and all the other ones. Uh, and when we drop this on Twitter, we will, we will tag you with it. Give everybody uh, an opportunity to follow her and follow her journey as, uh, you know, she's had a lot of success through this, but clearly if you've listened to Megan, she's not done. She's going to keep on marching forward. And, you know, we'd like to support her and, and let those that want to help support her uh, follow, follow her on, on this journey. So absolutely. And so and we we obviously follow you on, on social media as well. And so and if you ever make your way up to the Dallas area, it's not far, especially during no, the season. Not. Absolutely. Come come and find us. And we oh definitely my gosh. Have, have a Are we going to Jerry Dome? <laughs> I try if, if not to. to we, we've that would be problems. an experience. We could wear some release the report shirts. It'd be interesting how many cowboy fans, you know, they might they might know what's going on. I don't know. It'd be an interesting well, experiment. Well, they they don't want to release their own report, right? They got their own. <laughs> that that's true too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, but, you know, they they would look at it as an opportunity to uh, take a shot at Washington, so they would support <laughs> the Washington. Release the report, right? Just not their own report, you know. Yeah, it's, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. I bet you, I bet you, some teams are probably a little nervous now that the ownership's about to change and well, things are happening. So. And just what you mentioned today, also with other teams getting involved with, uh, the, you know, out in uh, New York and California, stepping in Arizona up. in Arizona. Uh, as well. Yeah, this, this, this. I guarantee you, there's some people that are were very, very comfortable a year ago mm-hmm. that are now going, okay, we need to, you know, we need to write this ship if we have something going on here and, and, and clean up and, and hopefully this passes over us. Um, I, have, I have no doubt people are doing inventory because I think what you guys have done and what people have seen is happening in Washington. It would not surprise me as bubbling at the surface in some of these other organizations. People are thinking maybe this is what we should do. It's probably giving them a little more, comfortability to go out and do some of the same thing and people starting to look in house i have no doubt i've never been well, in an nfl office shared, we've also shared advice now whether or not they read it or took it um to the nfl on what they could do differently and i personally believe there has to be a third-party entity for these investigations where um right. 
you know, I don't believe the NFL to be an unbiased party. And keep in mind, wow. some people work at teams, they work for the league office, they're friends, they know. So right. I think that there's a lot that could be done that, um, you know, could really rectify the fact that if things have to change. Um, but I agree. I think, I think more people are kind of on watch and, and I think also like HR training, basic, there's basic things that they could have done right. And there's people that have lost their jobs and their lives have changed where simply, I think proper training would have completely changed their, their outcome as well. And and so was it true that there was, I mean, set the record straight. There was one HR person for the entire Yeah, for a period, a period of years there, we had, um, we had, a huge layoff that happened. And I want to say it was around 2008, 2009, maybe I'm wrong. Um, but at that point there was um, one of the admin assistant office assistants ended up being the HR person. Yeah. Wow. wow. What a Which is also where I've tried to encourage everyone to come forward because I didn't think they really had good re record keeping skills for sure. our you know, these different NDAs and things. Yeah. Right, wow. Right, right. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, again, again, thank you again, Megan. Um, Anytime. We, we certainly it's appreciate fun. this. And again, our objective here was to kind of show the spotlight uh, as we celebrate the potential sale of the team and spotlight you guys for what you guys did and your actions, which were the catalyst to where we are today that where we can be happy and celebrating the change in, in, uh, in ownership. I understand you got a lot more work to do. <laughs> I have no doubt that you guys are going to get it done and uh, anything that we can do to help you guys out in that journey, we will certainly be willing to do that. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank, right. th thank you. And uh, th thank our listeners uh, for, for, for listening to this story and, uh, and, and Megan's journey through this. So uh, until, until next time, knuckleheads as always. Out. Peace out. Bye. See you, Megan. Bye.